0: What is your favorite holiday meal? If your family is anything like mine, it's always a debate between Christmas and Thanksgiving. But what about Jesus? I mean, think about all the feasts and festivals that he would have celebrated as a Jewish man throughout his life. Which one would he say was his favorite? See, in this sermon series, we've been talking about the meals that Jesus ate and what they reveal to us about his character and priorities. And so today, we're going to be talking about the most meaningful meal that Jesus would have eaten at as a Jewish man. And ultimately, it's the most important one for us. You see, the meal that we are talking about today not only shaped the identity of the Jewish people, but from it emerges another meal that shapes us as the followers of Jesus. If you haven't guessed it yet, we're talking about the Passover meal. Now, I could talk to you today about someone who has researched about the Passover meal, but I would like to introduce you to somebody from our own Bayview Glen family who celebrates the Passover meal every year with her family. And so today, she is gonna help us understand Jesus through the lens of the Passover meal. Hi Laura, we are just so excited to have you here with us today. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and then why is Passover so important to you?
1: Well, I'm a Jewish follower of Jesus and uh, celebrated Passover. Um, To me, a lot of times I tell people I serve with the ministry of Jews for Jesus for over 30 years now. And it's um, a little confusing when I tell people that because they say Jews for Jesus. Isn't that like an oxymoron? A contradiction in terms like saying vegetarians for roast beef or something. (laughs) But if you really think about it, all the first followers of Jesus were Jewish, and all the writers of the New Testament were Jewish, with the possible exception of Luke, but he was a doctor, so you never know. (laughs) But uh, in the first century, really, if you think about it, the biggest problem we had wasn't Jews for Jesus, but Gentiles for Jesus, because God had to tell Peter three times in a vision to go to the house of Cornelius a Roman soldier, and tell him that he, too, could follow Jesus as the Messiah. Well, Cornelius received the word of God gladly. Peter had to go back and tell all the other Jews for Jesus that now a Gentile wanted to follow the Jewish Messiah, too, and they had to hold the very first church council meeting to decide on this burning issue of Gentiles for Jesus. You can read about it in Acts chapter 15. (laughs) But don't worry, we decided it was a good thing (laughs) (laughs) that Jews and Gentiles could worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, together with that middle wall of partition broken down once and for all. And we decided it was such a good thing, we sent you some of our best missionaries. We sent you Paul and Silas, Barnabas and Timothy, and they did such a fantastic job that now there are more of you than there are of us. <laughs> so really at Jews for Jesus for the past few decades, it's been our job to get that gospel message back into the Jewish community and raise the banner that believing in Jesus, is actually the most Jewish thing you can do because he really is the promised Messiah of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And for me, Passover used to be a fantastic meal. And I would walk into the house and it smelled amazing, but it was torture for a child because it took at least two hours till I got to eat the food. Wow. <laughs> we had a lot of reading to do. And I was like, I would groan knowing uh, about Passover. And then I never wanted to finish the telling of the story after we ate. But... Um, Jesus celebrated the Passover, so that's why it's so important to me. He's uh, portrayed not only in the story of Passover, but in all the symbols of Passover too. So today, as we share together this traditional Passover setting, it's really my hope that we'll view it as more than just an explanation of a commemorative meal, but that we'll view it as I do, as an object lesson on the life and mission of the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. So look closely today, because if you do, I think you'll find clearly pictured here, his death, his burial and his resurrection and the promise of his return.
0: Wow. All right, so we find Jesus actually celebrating Passover. Uh, one of the times in Scripture is in Luke chapter 22. I, I just want to read a couple of the verses, you know, from that, uh, from that passage for us today. It says in Luke 22, starting in, in verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. And then later on in verse 13, um, it says they left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared for the Passover. So Jesus sends, you know, two of his followers ahead of him to make preparations for the meal. Can you tell us a little bit about what that actually means? What needs to be prepared for the Passover meal?
1: Okay, well, the first day of Passover actually begins a seven-day holiday called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And during this time, Jewish people don't eat anything which contains any yeast or leaven. Well, why no leaven? You may have noticed that frequently throughout the scriptures, leaven is used as a symbol of sin. In ancient times, just a small piece of leaven was used to ferment a whole portion of dough. And as you know, it's the leaven which causes the dough to rise or to become puffed up just as sin causes us to become puffed up in our own eyes. So for this time, we don't eat anything which has any leaven in it as a way of saying that we want to break that daily sin cycle in our own lives. So in many Jewish homes, for actually six weeks prior to the Passover, the house undergoes a complete spring cleaning and we remove any cakes, any cookies, any cereals, any breads, anything that has any leaven in it. I know people who go crazy. They have their cars detailed. Maybe if they didn't drive in and out of Tim so often, they wouldn't have so much <laughs> leaven in their car. But <laughs> spring cleaning is taken to the nth degree. And this usually is the work of the woman of the house. But when you read Luke, did you notice that Jesus sent two men yes. to prepare the Passover? Now, perhaps this is because in Judaism, it is usually the man who is standing before God, not only when it comes to praying, but when it comes to ceremonial preparations as well. So if you really think about it, it should be the men who are doing the cleaning for the <laughs> six weeks. <laughs> Before
0: you get too worried, Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) My wife wouldn't appreciate that, I can tell you.
1: (laughs) Our rabbis have come up with a solution to this very tricky problem. You see, they say true, the house has been cleansed, because for the past six weeks, the woman has removed every single speck of leaven. But you see, not quite every speck. You see, she's taken a few crumbs, she's hidden them someplace in the house, and it's up to the man to find them. So the night before Passover, the man comes home from work and takes up some really strange-looking cleaning tools a feather, a wooden spoon, and a white cloth. And he goes on what we call in Hebrew, bedikat chametz, the search for the leaven. So where could the crumbs be? It could be anywhere. <laughs> maybe under the carpet, maybe in the basement, behind the fridge, They could be anywhere. But fortunately for him, his wife has been good enough to hide the crumbs the same place she hid them the year before. (laughs) And probably the year before that. (laughs) So without too much difficulty, the man finds those crumbs and with a steady hand, he sweeps those crumbs into the spoon with the feather. Says heavy house cleaning, don't you think? (laughs) Well, since the crumbs represent sin, the man's not permitted to touch them. Instead, he takes the whole bundle down to a bonfire that's burning in the parking lot or the courtyard of the local synagogue. All the men of the community have gathered there, and each one throws his bundle of leaven into the flames. And now the man proudly returns home and says, now I have purged my house of all manner of leaven. Well, okay. (laughs) But just to be sure, he adds one more prayer. May any manner of leaven which I've neither seen nor removed be considered null and void and dust of the earth. Amen. So the house has been cleansed.
0: Wow, that's quite the preparation (laughs) process. So now that the house has been cleaned, what, what happens next?
1: Well, it's actually ready for the Passover celebration now. And the Passover begins with the lighting of the candles. And this usually is the duty and honor of the woman at the house. After lighting the candles, she recites a traditional Hebrew blessing. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech kedishanu, bemitzvot Pesach. Don't worry, I'll explain in English. <laughs> Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has commanded us, to have sanctified us, and commanded us to light the Passover candles. And it actually is significant for us that a woman lights these candles, because our Messiah, who is called the light of the world, was promised to us not by seed of man, but by seed of woman and by the will of God. Just as the prophet Isaiah foretold, Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. Remember, she would call his name Emmanuel. He would be a light to light the nations and the glory of his people Israel. Now, Passover, it's not just a meal. (laughs) It's an absolute banquet. And it's not just a service. It's a celebration. And you know, a meal or a service, it might only take an hour or two. But this Passover celebration Can take up to four long hours (laughs) now before you get worried we will not be here for four hours today (laughs) but during this time each adult who's sitting around the table is going to drink and refill his cup four times now the first cup is called the kiddush cup or the cup of sanctification and the second cup is the cup of plagues the cup of plagues. Now in between the second and the third cup is a time when the big Passover meal is served. And the cup which is taken after supper, it's actually the focal point of the entire ceremony. This is the cup of blessing or the cup of redemption. And the fourth cup is the cup of Hallel or the cup of praise. But it's with this first cup that the host offers a blessing for the rest of the evening to follow. He holds the Kiddush cup aloft, and he thanks God Almighty, King of the universe, who has created the fruit of the vine. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu borei, HaGafen, amen. So the service has officially begun, and at this point, the youngest child who's sitting around the table will step forward, and he or she will ask the traditional four questions. And those questions are uh, usually chanted, and they're recorded for us here in this book, which is called the Haggadah. The Haggadah, which in Hebrew literally means the telling, the telling of the story of Passover. So the first question goes like this. Manishtana ishtenah halaylah mikol which means why is this night different? from all other nights. Why is this night different from all other other nights?
0: (laughs) That's a great question. and I'm sure you have the answer for it.
1: (laughs) Well, those of us who know the story of Passover, we are actually obligated to respond. We would say, this is because of what the Lord our God has done for us when he brought us out of Egypt, when he redeemed us with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. You see, redemption, it's going to come up over and over and over again. Redemption, it's at the very heart of Passover. But Passover really tells us more than just God's message of redemption. It tells us about God's means of redemption as well, through the sacrifice of Passover lambs. You remember the Israelites? They were instructed to take a whole spotless lamb and roast it without breaking any of its bones. And then they were to take the blood of those lambs and apply it to the doorposts of their homes, first to the top and then to the two sides. Now, because of their obedience to God's command and their faith in the effectiveness of his provision, they were spared that 10th plague that fell on the land of Egypt. You remember when the angel of death saw that blood, On the doorposts of their homes, he was forced to pass over the houses of Israel. And that's where we get the name Passover. (laughs) In Hebrew, it's Pesach, the time which commemorates when death literally passed over the houses of Israel because of the blood. It was a mighty act of redemption. But what a picture for us, isn't it, Dave, of an even greater redemption that was to come through the sacrifice of another spotless Passover lamb. You see, just as none of the bones of those first Passover lambs were broken, so too not one of Jesus' bones was broken in his death. And just as the Israelites had to apply in faith the blood of the lamb to the doorposts of their homes, so too must we, each and every one of us, apply in faith the blood of Jesus to the doorposts of our hearts.
0: So we've cleaned the house, we've uh, lit we've lit the candles, um, we've drank the first cup and we're into um, the, the, the ceremony. The child is asked the first question. What's next? What, what's his second question?
1: Why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread? And we would respond, well, this is because our ancestors in their haste to leave Egypt had to leave while their bread was still flat. Now, this is what we call a matzah tash. It's a pouch containing three layers of matzah, or unleavened bread, and each is separated by a small piece of cloth. And at this person, whoop, at this moment, the father removes that middle layer of matzah, recites a blessing, and breaks it in two. And he sets one half aside, and the other half he gives a very special name. He calls this the afikomen. Can you say that, Dave?
0: Afikomen.
1: Good, you speak great.
0: Oh, yeah, (laughs) great. (laughs) Not Hebrew?
1: No, is actually a Greek word. It's not a Hebrew word, and it literally means that which comes after. And the father does a very strange thing at this point. He takes the afikomen and he wraps it in a white cloth, and then he buries it. It's hidden from view. But later on, the service cannot continue until one of the children finds the afikomen and brings it back to the father, where he redeems it at a price. And negotiations begin in earnest. Then, like one time, my nephew tried to get a bicycle out of the deal. Then he tried for a puppy. He ended up with five dollars.
0: <laughs> That's great. So now you said there were four questions. So we've talked through the first two questions yeah. that the child asks at the meal. Um, what are the next two questions, and how does it how do they how does it relate, or how do those questions relate to the uh, the elements of Passover, the food that we have on the table before us?
1: Okay. So the child asks those final two questions. Why on this night do we eat only bitter herbs? And why do we dip in salt water twice? And I'll explain by showing you this. This is what we call a Salachat Shel Pesach, and it's a Passover plate. A symbolic piece of food from the Passover meal is placed in each one of these compartments, and each one will literally paint the picture of redemption for us. Now the first piece of food is called karpas, or greens. Usually we take parsley or lettuce, and these greens, they represent life, springtime in life. But before we can eat them, we must dip them into salt water, which represents the tears of life. You see, this food is supposed to remind us that life without redemption is simply life immersed in tears. And this is what we call a chatseret, a chatzeret. Usually we take an onion or horseradish root. And this food simply serves to remind us that the root of life is bitter, as it certainly was for the Israelites while in bondage in slavery to Pharaoh. Ah, and this is what we call maror. Maror, take a smell, <laughs> It's the root of the bitter herb itself. It's freshly ground horseradish. Now, you see, the Haggadah instructs us that each one of us sitting around the table is supposed to eat a tablespoon full of horseradish. Would you like to try that, Dave? I'll
0: I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What happens? Are you crying?
0: Not yet, but... The sinuses are definitely cleared.
1: Okay, good. We call this Jewish tristan. <laughs> <laughs> so you cry, and those tears literally are supposed to remind you of the bitterness of life without what?
0: Um, without redemption. Without
1: exactly. Right. This is the story of redemption. It reminds us of the bitterness of life without redemption. But by way of contrast to that bitter herb, this is what we call charoset. Choroset. Usually we take chopped apples, honey, nuts, raisins, and we would mix it into a paste. And this food serves to remind us of the mortar, the cement, that the Israelites use while making bricks for Pharaoh. So you might be wondering, why, why are we using such a sweet and delicious mixture to represent such a bitter labor?
0: Right, exactly.
1: Well, the Haggadah tells us that even the bitterest of labor is sweetened with the promise of... Redemption. Amen. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this is what we call a Chagigah, a Chagigah. Before the service, we would actually take a white egg and roast it until it turns brown. You see, chagiga was the name given to those special sacrifices that were made in the temple at Passover time. And remember, in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed and along with it, the altar on which the sacrifices are made. So that reminds us of sacrifices which are no longer made. But also contained within the egg is a symbol of hope and the promise of new life. Now the final item on the Salachat shel Pesach is actually the strangest one of all. It's not a piece of food, it's a bone, the shank bone of a lamb. You see, Passover is often called the feast of the Passover lamb. But today at Passover, No lamb is served. Because the lamb that was eaten were those sacrifices that were made in the temple at Passover time. And as I said in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed and along with it, the altar on which the sacrifices were made. So if you really think about it, the presence of these final two items, the egg and the bone, are really only there to remind us of sacrifices which are no longer made. (laughs) So the question might naturally come up, well, With no temple or altar or sacrifices to be made on our behalf, how is redemption possible? Because the law of Moses clearly states in the book of Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, when he speaks to Moses and says, I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of life which makes for atonement. And a lot of people say, (laughs) could have been relevant 2,000 years ago, but what bearing does it have on my life today? Well, doesn't it? (laughs) Why does the Haggadah tell us that each one of us sitting around the table are supposed to take the story of Passover personally, as if each and every one of us was literally being redeemed out of the land of Egypt personally? I think we need to take the story of Passover personally because each and every one of us needs to be redeemed personally. But with no temple or altar, with no Lamb of God, how is redemption possible? guess what? (laughs) (laughs) Nearly 2,000 years ago, there lived a man named Yochanan, Yochanan Hamatbil. You might know him better as John, John the Baptist. And one day he was baptizing in the Jordan River and his gaze fell on another Jewish man. You remember what he cried? Mm -hmm. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. That's how not through the sacrifice of Passover lambs, but through the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. So, guess what? We have a second cup. We're only at the second okay. cup, but don't worry. <laughs> there were a lot of foods to yeah, partake in. that's right, in. <laughs> there were. Remember, the second cup is a cup of plagues, Yes. So in Jewish tradition, a full cup, it represents complete joy. Your cup should be filled to overflowing. You may have read about that in the Psalms. But at this point in the service, our joy is not complete. We're going to actually pour out some of the contents of this cup 10 times as a way of remembering those 10 plagues that were poured out upon the land of Egypt. You see, we mourn their loss. We express sorrow over the destruction of the Egyptians. I do think there's an important lesson for us in the cup of plagues. Because Pharaoh was repeatedly told by Moses what God wanted him to do, let my people go. He refused. And because of his disobedience, death and destruction were poured out not only upon his land, but upon his own home as well. He lost his own son due to his hardness of heart. So I think there is a piece of wisdom in this cup. God's telling you to do something, just do it. Yeah, okay?
0: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but
1: Passover, you know, it's a night of rejoicing, and it's a night of thanksgiving, and it's a night to praise God. And today, at Passover, we really can praise God, can't we? The angel of death, he really did pass over the houses of Israel. And we can praise God, because the Israelites, they really were redeemed out of the land of Egypt. But more importantly, we can praise God, because those of us who know him have been redeemed from an even greater bondage. Through him, through our faith in the Messiah Jesus, we too, each and every one of us can literally pass over from death unto life.
0: Wow. Okay, so where we are on the meal right now, we've we've gone through the, the plate and then we know that we've gone through the first two cups. Now we get to the third cup, which is the first cup after the meal. Right.
1: Right, And it's a big meal. You're eating for at least an hour. It's more food than it, it is even possible to eat. It's really rather ridiculous, but <laughs> it's a lot of food. Yeah.
0: <laughs> all right. So tell me about this third cup.
1: Okay. So now all the dishes have been cleared away. You have to use your imagination. You are really reclining. That's another question the Haggadah, why do we recline at dinner? Well, it's because in ancient Near Eastern societies, only people who were redeemed were allowed to recline, people who were free. So we take full advantage of that. We recline at dinner, we're full, and now it's time for the third cup, the cup of blessing or the cup of redemption, the cup after supper. Focal point of the entire ceremony, but we can't go on. Why is that? Remember earlier, something was broken Buried, it now needs to be brought back. Right. What was it called, Dave?
0: The uh, the unleavened bread. Or the right. the, ma- the, the matzo. It,
1: it was a Greek word. You said Oh,
0: I said the afikomen.
1: Afikomen. There Good. we go. Okay, okay that's okay. <laughs> One time I did this, someone yelled out, hey, it's that avocado, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's now brought back to the Father, where he takes it and he unwraps it, and he breaks it again, and again, and again, He breaks it into many small, olive-sized pieces. And this is taken along with the cup of redemption.
0: So this kind of looks familiar.
1: Does this look familiar? (laughs) This is the origin of our communion service. And where else do we get a clearer picture of our Messiah than in that tradition of the Afikomen, the middle layer which is removed, while the other two remain hidden from view, broken, wrapped in a white cloth, buried, and then brought back to the Father. But we can see him not only in the Afikomen, but in the Matzah as well, which is unleavened. You remember, unleavening speaks of sinless nature. This is also a picture of Jesus for us. And you should know that for Matzah to be found suitable for use at the Passover, our rabbis have come up with specific regulations concerning its appearance. First of all, to prevent the appearance of leavening, it has to be striped. Can you see that? I can, yeah. Now this, I think, is a symbol for us. A picture, an image, because Jesus was striped, wasn't he? Just as the prophet Isaiah foretold almost 700 years before he came, it would be by his stripes that we are healed. Also, to prevent that appearance of leavening or bubbling up, the matzah must be pierced. And you see that through the flame. This is also a picture for us, an image, because Jesus was pierced. Just as the prophet Zechariah foretold almost 600 years before he came, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. But you can see him not only in the matzah, but in the pouch as well. Remember, we have three layers of unleavened bread, each separated by a small piece of cloth. Now there's been a lot of disagreement amongst our rabbis concerning the meaning of this mysterious unity, this mysterious three in one. Some rabbis say, perhaps the unity of the matzatosh represents the unity of the three patriarchs of Israel, the unity of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But why is the middle layer broken, buried, and then brought back? Nobody knows. (laughs) Other rabbis say, perhaps the unity of the matzatosh represents the unity of the three divisions of worship in the ancient kingdom, the unity of the priests, the Levites, and the children of Israel. But why is that middle layer broken, buried, and then brought back? Nobody knows. (laughs) but why even search for explanations? Why not just accept the explanation that's so clearly given in the design of the pouch itself? There are three layers there, yet they represent a unity, a triunity And a Hebrew word which may mean such a unity is the Hebrew word echad, echad which brings to mind the word of God spoken by Moses in Deuteronomy when he cries out, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the word for one there is unity. You remember at that point in the service, the father removes the middle layer of unity while the other two remain hidden from view. You remember in John's gospel, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word became flesh, he became visible, he dwelt among us. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But to those who received him, he gave them the right to be called children of God. So we Jews who know the Messiah believe that the unity of the matzatosh represents the unity of one God revealed in three persons. I bet you can say it with me. (laughs) Yes. God the Father, Father, God God the Son, Son, and God God the the Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Why is the middle air broken, buried, and then brought back? Well, I believe because Jesus, our blessed Redeemer, was broken, buried, and then brought back. This is my body, he said, which was broken for you, for you, for all of us. Do this, he said, in remembrance of me. Now we've actually eaten the bread at this point. Now it's time to drink from the cup of redemption. Now the fruit of the vine at Passover, it's usually red our rabbis say to remind us of that precious shed blood of those first Passover lambs. Remember, their blood was shed in order to redeem, to buy back the children of Israel out of bondage and slavery to Pharaoh. But the blood of another Passover lamb was shed, wasn't it? The blood of Jesus, in order to redeem us, to buy us back out of bondage and slavery to sin and death. It was concerning this cup The third cup, the cup taken after supper, that Jesus said, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. That new covenant was promised to us hundreds of years earlier through the prophet Jeremiah in the 31st chapter of his book when he said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with your forefathers in the days when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them. But this is the covenant I will make with them, says the Lord. After those days, I will put my law within them. On their hearts, I will write it. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Cup of redemption taken along with Afikomen a reminder of shed blood and bodies of those first Passover lambs. So if you don't remember anything else here from this entire Passover table, all you need to know is that our Passover lamb is Jesus.
0: <laughs> well, that that's great. I, I love the explanation of that cup. Thank you so much. But. There's still one more cup, and I think it's such a fitting cup to celebrate or to drink at the end of the meal. Can you tell us about that final cup of the Passover?
1: Okay, it's been four hours. You've read through the whole Haggadah, the whole telling of the story of Passover. You've recounted all the great and mighty deeds that God has done for us. And so naturally, your heart is filled with praise and thanksgiving. And this is the cup of Hallel or the cup of praise. Um... Hallelujah is a Hebrew word, you may not have known that, just means praise the Lord, and it comes from the Hebrew root word, Hallel, which means to praise. And you'll notice that in the Haggadah, there are Psalms of praise that are sung at this point. Those are Psalms 113 through 118. And you remember when Jesus and his disciples left the table, they were singing Psalms of praise. There's one more cup.
0: Oh, that's right, there is. Sorry, (laughs) there is one more cup.
1: It's a cup which I haven't told you about. the right. Is, this is a cup, nobody drinks from it. Isn't that odd? That is. This is the cup of Elijah. And actually in many Jewish homes, an entire place setting is set for the prophet Elijah. So why this longing for the prophet? You might remember in the book of Malachi chapter four, it says that the coming of the Messiah would be preceded by the coming of the prophet Elijah. So at this point, the youngest child who's sitting around the table now goes to the door, opens it into the night air, hoping Elijah's going to accept the invitation. That he'll come in, he'll sit down, he'll eat from his plate, thereby announcing the coming of the Messiah. Right. Now, when they did this in my husband Andrew's home, his younger sister would go to the door and he used to watch the cup really carefully, <laughs> waiting for the liquid to go down. He thought Elijah was a ghost, okay. <laughs> but it never did. <laughs> But then again, we know Elijah has come, don't we? Right. How do we know that?
0: <laughs> we, we see evidence of him in John the Baptist. Right. Yeah. Jesus
1: said of John the Baptist, if you care to believe it, he himself is the one who was to come. So the prophet, the forerunner has come. Right. And so is the Messiah. Amen.
0: Amen. Wow, Laura, this has been amazing. I mean, the whole purpose of of our sermon series on foodie is to, you know, for us to understand a little bit more about Jesus through the meals that he ate. And, you know, I mean, for all of us that are listening today, we can definitely see how Christ has been revealed through this Passover meal, the most important meal that a Jewish person, man or Jew at all would actually participate in. So thank you so much for coming and uh, letting us know how Christ is found in this very important and very special meal. We appreciate that.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thanks for sticking with, for the whole story. Yeah, I still
0: got the horseradish going in my (laughs) Okay, sorry about that. (laughs) Thank you, Laura.
1: Okay, God bless you.